Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Okay, so this week our portion is Emor, which is say. And uh, I don't know if I have a title of the message, but it might be something along the lines of a special calling. And we'll see if that's what it turns out to be. Okay, but a special calling. So this week opens up with commands of holiness specifically directed to the priesthood, to Aaron and his offspring. And then the portion continues on after that, going through the Sabbaths of the Lord, his appointed times that play out in his plan of restoration. And then we have a brief discussion of the light of the menorah and the bread of the presence before then concluding the portion with the story of the blasphemer, the one who uh, profaned the name of God. All right. Now, last week, we talked about, well, two portions. Last week, we talked about Acharemot, and we talked about Kedoshim. And in most years, we discussed how those two portions are read together as a double portion. This year, Kedoshim was read alone, but we pulled in a message that was kind of spanned the two of them. And I feel like this week, with the portion opening up with special commands of holiness to the priesthood, I feel like in some ways it's a continuation of what we discussed last week. Because last week's portion was Kedoshim. It was, you shall be holy for I am holy. And the Lord was giving, well, he was reiterating the Ten Commandments and recalling elements of the covenant entered into at Sinai for how his people would walk in holiness before him and in relationship with him. So, and then the progression from there is what about this priesthood and how do they walk before the Lord? How do they sanctify his name, maintain what he has called holy and represent him rightly? Okay. And so I feel like that priesthood is somewhat kind of connected to what Suzanne was talking about and what is the priesthood that we walk in. Now, in our portion today, it's specifically talking about the priesthood of Aaron, which is a different priesthood than the kingdom of priests that is the nation of Israel and the greater commonwealth. But there's a, there, there are parallels. Um, so I want to talk first, giving a little recap of what we discussed last week in leading into this story so that it kind of gives some continuity. Uh, last week we talked about, with Ahare Mot, the beginning of that portion is the discussion of how the priest will approach, how the high priest will approach into the Holy of Holies one time a year. And it begins with the death of Nadav and Abihu, and then goes into all the details of the Day of Atonement. So it opens up with the death of the righteous atoning for the sins of the nation, followed by the high priest interceding for the nation and providing atonement for the children of Israel. And then once forgiveness and cleansing has been accomplished, then God begins to give instructions on how to make a dwelling place for him and how to protect the sanctity of the community as a whole. 
And within that, this is from Leviticus 17 and 18, he gives several specific commands that are for the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwells among Israel, who is not part of the covenant, but who is walking alongside Israel, dwelling among them. Um, and he gives the commandments of not to have any kind of sacrifices apart from the sanctuary. In other words, no idolatry, only make offerings unto the Lord. And then there's commands not to consume blood, not to eat things that have been strangled, such that they still have blood in them. And then finally, the fourth thing is no sexual immorality. Okay, so those were the primary commands that would protect the sanctity of the land and of the community such that God's presence could dwell among them, such that the children of Israel would not have to be exiled. Because God gives a warning and says, all these things that I'm telling you not to do, the people before you did, and because of that, they were removed from the land and now you're coming in to take their place. Do not walk in their ways, right? And then after saying that's the foundation, then the next thing is Leviticus 19, which is portion Kadoshim, which speaks about the holiness of the people now that they have been brought into relationship with God. Okay, so he says, here's what's required to live in the land, and now I'm taking you to me as my people. Remember how I took you to me as my people is what God's saying, essentially, saying we, we cut covenant at Sinai with these peace offerings, and now let me remind you of the Ten Commandments. Because within Leviticus 19, you have the Ten Commandments recapped, just not stated explicitly. But within the commandments of you shall be holy for I am holy, God is reiterating more details about the Ten Commandments. And in Leviticus 20, 26, okay, the scripture, God, God is wrapping up this portion saying, you shall be holy to me for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine, right? And that specifically, that statement right there where he says, I have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine, I think is another explicit, or maybe, I don't know if it's explicit, but whatever. I think it's tying back to Exodus 19, okay? If we look at Exodus 19, just before the children of Israel enter into covenant with God, he says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right? So here in chapter 19 of Leviticus, he's reminding of the covenant. He's reminding of the Ten Commandments. And then he says, because I've separated you. So just time and time again, he's referring back to Sinai and saying, remember who you are. Because remembering who you are is going to affect how you will live. It will affect how you walk in holiness and be a people who is holy, reflecting my holiness. Right? Because that was one of the things we talked about, too, is that the call to be holy was for the purpose of becoming more and more like God as He's revealed Himself to us. Right? And He's revealed Himself in His Word. At the time that Leviticus 19 is given here, He's revealed Himself in His Word so that the children of Israel can walk in His ways. Now, of course, we know there's been even greater revelation of the nature and identity of the Father through the Son, 
that has been revealed to us. So we have the written word and we have the living word that we can live by and walk in holiness. And the result of hearkening to the covenant was that we would be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And one of the questions becomes, well, a kingdom of priests, but to who? Right? Because I mentioned earlier that the, the priesthood of Aaron is different than the priesthood that God is talking about in Exodus 19. Exodus 19, God's saying, you are a kingdom of priests. You're a nation that is to act as my ministers to the world. Right? The, the line of Aaron was given as a priesthood that would minister to the children of Israel. Okay? So it's, it's about both are priesthoods. It's just what is their, what is the domain in which they operate? Much like Yeshua is the high priest over all the world, and he officiates in the heavenly temple, the one that is not made with human hands, the one that is greater and above all. Right? He's not of the line of Aaron, so he's not a priest on the earth or in the earthly temple, but he is in the heavenly temple. And where's the heavenly temple going to be? <laughs> in the end, it's going to be on the earth, right? Uh, but for now, there's the separation. Okay, but in the, so in the meantime, he has appointed a priest. He has appointed priesthood priesthoods who would go out and manifest his name to those who they are ministers to. So the line of Aaron manifests the name of God to the children of Israel, to those who are of the covenant. And then those people of the covenant then manifest the name of God to the rest of the world as they let their light shine, as they let the word of God transform them and then serve as ministers unto the world to bring all the world into relationship with God because all the world is his. And his desire is to bring back all the exiles, not just the exiles of Israel, but those who have been exiled from his presence due to sin, and bring them all back into relationship with him. So within that, there's a call for us to be a priest, a priesthood unto the nations, right? Ministering within our body, but then also beyond so it may be a little challenging as we go through today because uh, I'm, I'm talking about today's portion, speaking of the Aaronic priesthood, but then relating it to the calling of the global priesthood too. So bear with me as we go through that. I'm not trying to make confusion or blur the lines between there. There's just, I believe there's a, a parallel that we can see and apply in multiple dimensions. All right, so let's go. Okay, talking about, I already spoke a little bit about what the overview of this week's portion is, right? With the holiness to the priesthood. And if I, if I merge all of this story together of Ahare Mot unto this first part of the portion, we start with the death of the righteous atoning for the sins of the nation. We talk about Yeshua, the death of the righteous one atoning for the sins of the nation, but not only of the nation, but of the whole world, right? And then the next thing within Ahare Mot is the high priest interceding for the nation. The result of his intercession result is forgiveness of sins and cleansing before the Lord. 
right? And we know that Yeshua operates as our high priest in the heavens who brings forgiveness for us and for that of the whole world, right? And he brings a purity and a forgiveness that goes beyond the flesh, but even to the cleansing of the spirit, as the writer of Hebrews talks about. Now, the interesting thing is, okay, so if we go from the death of the righteous to the high priest, how do we go from death to life? We have to have the resurrection, right? So you have the story, you have the death of the high priest, or you have the death of the righteous one, then necessarily his resurrection, such that he then serves as high priest and secures atonement, okay? And then... Once that atonement's secured, then there's, I want to bring a people to me. So God brings the children of Israel to him and says, here's what's required to dwell in my, for me, for my presence to dwell among you, here's what's required. Okay. And last week we paralleled how that those four commandments that were given of no idolatry, no consuming blood, no eating things that are strangled, and then also um, no sexual immorality. Those are the four commands given or four commandments given in Acts 15 by the Council of Jerusalem of what the community of the Gentiles are to do when they come to faith. So they said, okay, you're coming to faith, right? You recognize that you have the righteous one who died for you, who has been resurrected, and who is now serving as your high priest. Here's the foundation for how you're going to make yourself a sanctuary for him to dwell among. And here's how you can come into our community and have our whole community be a place for God's dwelling presence so that we don't go into exile, right? Just as the Canaanites did all those four things and God spit them out, he warned the children of Israel that if you do those four things, you are going to go into exile as well. Do not do that because if you go into exile, one, you're not in my presence, but then you're also profaning my name among the nations because you're not walking according to the covenant, right? And so the exile causes a profaning of the name. So at the Council of Jerusalem, they're saying, do not do the things that will cause a profaning of the name that would be detrimental to you and detrimental to the whole community. And then once we've got those bases covered and now we're making our pl a place a sanctuary for God's presence, what next? Next, you shall be holy for God is holy. So now let us remind you of the covenant. Let us remind you of the relationship that you've entered into with God and of his commandments of how you will become like him, right? Which is Kadoshim. And that's where at the Council of Jerusalem, they, they said, give these four rules because Moses is taught every Sabbath in every synagogue. And so they were saying every week, these Gentile believers are going to be coming to, to the synagogue on Shabbat and they're going to hear the Torah of Moses and they're going to learn of the covenant and they're going to learn of the commandments and they're going to learn of God's ways and they're going to begin to walk more and more in them. But they have to start with the foundation. And then as they begin to walk in it, now they're becoming transformed into the image that God wants them to be. And who is the image that God wants them to be other than Yeshua, right? He is the end of the Torah. He is the goal of the Torah. He is the target of what the Torah is to bring us to, right? So now we've kind of wrapped up the last two portions and then we enter into this one. And I feel like it's the, okay, now what next? Now you're walking in God's commandments and his ways and you're seeking to be holy like him. But now you also need something else. You now need to go and operate in the priestly ministry of ministering to the whole world. 
right? And as you go to do that, you need to walk in such a way that you're going to sanctify God's name to the world. Because now you're representing God to the world so that they can come to know who he is. And that's what I feel a lot of Leviticus, well, that's a parallel with Leviticus 24. Actually, not 24, uh, Leviticus 22, when the commands are being given of how should the priest safeguard the sanctity of what God has given them. Okay. So there's our parallel of kind of the, the continuation of the story. Now, immediately following that, immediately following Leviticus 22, we get into Leviticus 23, and we probably all know what Leviticus 23 is. It's kind of the retelling of God's appointed times, right? Going through, starting at Shabbat, and then working all the way through uh, the appointed times. Now, The way I kind of see these, these two, if I were to frame up these two chapters, you have holiness in the, in the priesthood, holiness in the priesthood, and then you have holiness in time. So God's desire to have holiness in his people and then to have holiness penetrate all of time because he's looking for a restoration of all of his creation, of his people and of the whole world. And so he's working in multiple dimensions to bring about this transformation. And that's really what the appointed times, that's really what God uses the appointed times for, is to execute and bring forth his plan of restoration. I know over the years we've talked about how God has used the appointed times multiple times in history, each time an escalation in the progression of restoration that God is bringing, right? So we think about the exodus that God brought to the children of Israel out of Egypt at the time of Passover, brought out by the blood of the Lamb. And then fast forward to the time of Yeshua, and God brings forth an exodus from sin and death through Yeshua and through the Passover Lamb, right? And then God brought His people through the wilderness to Sinai, where at Shavuot, at Pentecost, He gave the Torah, right? That was following the initial exodus. Then following the exodus through Yeshua, at Pentecost, there at Shavuot, God sends the Holy Spirit, right? So you have the, the Spirit and the Word both given at Shavuot. And then, of course, we fast forward to the fall feasts, the time of God's dwelling, the time of the ingathering of the nations. Uh, so many awesome pictures of what's to come in the restoration. But it's all this idea of restoration. And the priesthood is called to observe God's commandments. Okay, I say the priesthood is, right? Yes, the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood does observe all the commandments. They have a huge hand in the observance of, of the appointed times, but also the children of Israel are called to celebrate God's appointed times as well and to take part in it. And though the, the command is not specifically given to the entire assembly of the children of Israel, it, you know, in Leviticus 23, uh, let me actually just highlight this so it makes sense. In Leviticus 23, verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, 
these are the, the Lord's appointed times that you were to designate as holy convocations. But if you were to go back to Kadoshim, and if you were to look at the commands of being holy, for I am holy, the scriptures say, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the entire assembly of the children of Israel and say to them. There, so there's a distinction here of the entire assembly of the children of Israel versus just the children of Israel. So the entire assembly would be all the children of Israel and all those who are with the children of Israel dwelling among them. And then Leviticus 23, speaking to the children of Israel. And so we may, did I hear my name? No, okay. Um, so we could take the approach of the appointed times are just for the children of Israel, but I don't believe that's the case. Because, you know, one thing that we can also pull to is Isaiah 56. I'm going to read from there briefly from Isaiah 56, 1. It says, Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. Right, so here in Isaiah 56, there's a clear invitation and even a call of saying, those of you who want to come and join yourselves to Israel, who want to be, who want to worship me, to love me, to be unto me as a people, don't say I'm gonna separate you. Instead, come, keep my Sabbaths, hold fast my covenant, and I will make you joyful in my house of prayer for all the nations. Well, essentially, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations, right? So he's calling all the nations into this. Now, at the time that Isaiah is writing this, the understanding of the Gentiles being fellow heirs with Israel is not part of the understanding, right? Now, the idea that foreigners could join themselves to the Lord, be righteous, you know, uh, be righteous. What's it, what's it called? I can't remember now. But anyway, God fears. They, <laughs> that they could be God fears. They could love God and serve him and not be part of Israel. That was understood, right? And even at that time, they're saying, don't say you're separate. Come and be a part. Celebrate these times. Celebrate God's Sabbath, be joyful in his house of prayer. But God had a mystery that was hidden. That mystery would be revealed through Yeshua 
that through faith the nations could become not just strangers who loved God, but people who were a part of the family of God, part of the greater commonwealth of Israel, right? And they'd be brought near and become partakers of the covenant. So we talked about that last week. We'll have to make last week's uh, audio available, although I might just be repeating it all right now. I don't know. But, um, but the idea is that a people who were far off have been brought near and have a status that goes beyond just the stranger who dwells among Israel and have a special calling that goes just beyond being one who dwells among, but now one that partners with, that is a partaker of the covenant. Partnering with God to bring about the restoration. Partnering with God and celebrating His appointed times and saying, yes, Lord, we're prophetically declaring the return of Yeshua and His rule and reign on the earth when we celebrate these appointed times and we give glory to You for what You've done. Now, after we get through Leviticus 23 and the appointed times, then we come to Leviticus 24. That's how it works. You go 23, 24, and then we begin reading in verse 1 of Leviticus 24. And it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Command the people of Israel to bring you pure oil from beaten olives for the lamp, that a light may be kept burning regularly. Outside the veil of the testimony, in the tent of meeting, Aaron shall arrange it from evening to morning before the Lord regularly. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. He shall arrange the lamps on the lampstand of pure gold before the Lord regularly. You shall take fine flour and bake twelve loaves from it. Two-tenths of an ephah shall be in each loaf. And you shall set them in two piles, six in a pile, on the table of pure gold before the Lord. And you shall put pure frankincense on each pile, that it may go with the bread as a memorial portion, as a food, port, as a food offering to the Lord. Every Sabbath day Aaron shall arrange it before the Lord regularly. It is from the people... It is from the people of Israel as a covenant forever. And it shall be for Aaron and his sons, and they shall eat it in a holy place, since it is for him a most holy portion out of the Lord's food offerings, a perpetual due. All right. So we're going in this progression, like we talked about, of this people that have been brought near, made holy, now we're operating in a priesthood, are proclaiming God's plan of restoration and partnering in it, and now light the menorah and put bread in the presence. It's like, what? Where, where did this come from? <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't, I mean, it almost seems like a little hitch because if we're talking about lighting the menorah and the bread of the presence, wouldn't this have gone back, well, back at the time we're talking about the service around these things back earlier in Leviticus or back in Exodus when it's talked about these instruments in the tabernacle? Why do we get nine short verses thrown in here before then going on to talk about the blasphemer, about li the light of the menorah and the bread of the presence? And I think what it is is there's an allusion to a mystery that God would one day reveal, right? Because here he's saying all these things about what you're to do and, and how he's calling us to keep his appointed times and to be priests unto the world. And he says, and I'm going to give you further revelation. I'm going to send you the light of the world and the true bread from heaven. Kind of bringing all this into the ability for it to happen and to take place, to strengthen you and to allow you to walk as that kingdom of priests and in carrying out God's appointed times.
So with the light, God's light revealed here in Leviticus 24 and the bread of the presence, to me this parallels back with what Yeshua spoke in John. In the book of John in, in 8, John 8, 12, Yeshua spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And then in John 6, verses 51 and 58, or not really 51, 57 and 58, Yeshua says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Right? So the, both you walk in the light of life and then you eat of the bread and you live forever. And the bread that I give for the life of the world is my flesh. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. So Yeshua is declaring that he is that light of the monor, the light of the world. He is the bread of the presence that nourishes all, right? And you know, why do I say this is kind of tied into the mystery? And this may be a little challenging, or maybe it's a little bit, I won't say challenging, but there's something interesting with the showbread. And we're going to read here in Ephesians 3. Okay, so Paul is, is talking about the, the engrafting of the Gentiles. In Ephesians 3, verse 4, it says, When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Messiah, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Right? So at the time of the writing of Leviticus and the time when Isaiah was talking about all the nations being brought, this revelation hadn't been given. This was a mystery that was hidden that God chose to reveal through Yeshua, through this light, through the bread of life, he says that this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Messiah Yeshua through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Messiah and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church or through the assembly, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. I mean, this is declaring God's glory in the heavenly places manifest through the full body of believers, right? This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Okay, so here in verse 11, this is according to the eternal purpose that he realized in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Right, this is the idea that all mankind was predestined to be conformed to the image of God's son, Yeshua. Right, and now this predetermined plan for mankind to be conformed to the image of Yeshua has been revealed, and it's been revealed in Messiah. Now, in verse 11, when this says, this was according to the eternal purpose 
that he, and there's other translations that say, this is according to the eternal purpose that he purposed in Messiah Yeshua. So the eternal purpose and the, that he purposed, those are from the same root word. And in Greek, uh, it's a prothesis, prothesis, okay. I should have written that down, but it's prothesis. Now, prothesis can mean purpose or intent. It can be like what's set forth. But specifically, it's the showbread. How about that? Okay, so he's talking about this mystery of Yeshua being revealed now. And he says, this was according to the eternal showbread that he is showbreaded in Messiah Yeshua. How about that? Right? The bread of the presence. He has now sent forth the bread of the presence through whom anyone who eats of that bread will live forever. And that is the eternal purpose, that he would give life to all who will come and partake. Isn't that awesome? So, yeah, so this is according to the showbread that has been realized in Messiah Yeshua, who is the bread who came down from heaven. It's kind of funny at Shabbat, when, uh, whenever we say the blessing for the bread, and we're going around giving the kids their, their portion, and they, they say, blessed bless are you who brings forth bread from the earth. And often Danielle will say, not the sky. Because I don't remember, somebody said something at one point, so she kind of added that. It's like, but, but really, he does bring forth bread from the sky too. Right? Because he brings forth bread from Shemaim, from heaven. So Yeshua is the bread that came down from heaven, and he is also the bread that was raised up from the earth. Right? Pretty cool. But anyway, so here he is. God sent his son to be the showbread to accomplish his purpose of giving life. It's the mystery revealed and so now we're kind of tying that back into this mystery that follows within our portion now of like, why now are we talking about this light and the bread? It's because it's saying this mystery is going to be revealed of the Son who's going to accomplish all these things and who's going to bring together a people and purchase a people for God's pleasure, right? Because that's what it says in Revelation, worthy is the Lamb for He has purchased a people from every tribe. Isn't that right? Were these the, uh, let's see, I think so. Yeah, um, uh, Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the book and to break its seals, for you were slain and did purchase for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And you have made them to be a kingdom and priest to our God, and they will reign on the earth. Amen, right? So we were purchased. We were purchased with a price. And Paul says that multiple times, that we were purchased with a price so that we might go forward and sanctify the name of God, right? And to live as a people who are called according to his plans and his purposes. And I actually don't know where those verses are, but we may find them as we go through. But multiple times, you, you were purchased with a price. Now then, how that how then ought you to live, right? You live according to what God has revealed. Just as he said in Kadoshim, you shall be holy for I am holy. Remember the covenant that you're a part of? Remember my commands that reveal my nature and my character to you? That's so that you too can become like my son, who is the perfect representation of the Father, right? Okay, so... One thing I, I didn't go into much detail on, and I, I don't think I'm going to go back to, to read the verses. 
Um, but in Leviticus 22, when the commands are given for how the priests will conduct themselves, both in aspects of mourning and aspects of how they will treat the holy things of God, like the sacrifices and uh, only eating them in a state of purity and so forth. God also gives specific com commands about who it is that can serve as his priest, right? We know that only the sons of Aaron can serve as the priests of God. But then he also says, this is uh, Leviticus 21, 16. I guess I will read it. Why not? The Lord spoke to Moses saying, uh, speak to Aaron saying, none of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near, a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long, or a man who has an injured foot or an injured hand, or a hunchback or a dwarf, or a man with a defect in his sight, or an itching disease or scabs or crushed testicles. No man of the offspring of Aaron who has a blemish shall come near to offer the Lord's food offerings. Okay, and then there's there's some other things, too, but he says he shall not go through the veil or approach the altar because he has a blemish that he may not profane my sanctuaries for I'm the Lord who sanctifies them. Interesting, right? So God says your appearance actually matters and whether or not you can come serve in the temple. Now, these, these people who were excluded from the service, they could still eat of the holy things. They were still sons of Aaron. They were still priests to minister to the Lord, but there were certain things they couldn't do. And it was, was that because, like, God was disappointed with them? No. No, it's not because he was disappointed with them. I mean, think about this. If they were born with a limb too long or something not quite right, it's like, well, he formed them. He could actually change that, right? But then it's like, okay, so why is it so important how they look, how they appear? Because they're representing God to man, a God who is perfect, right? And so there is something with that image that is being portrayed and given out, right? And so when we think about, um, now they didn't make the people who could serve there in the, in the temple, they didn't make them perfect. It didn't mean that they were more righteous than the one who had some kind of excluding thing. It's just God said this, there's something to do with how you present, your, to pre, how you present me to the world and I want it done excellently. Does that make sense? And so there's an aspect there too with how we present God to the world. He says, present me with moral excellence to the, to the world. You know, you don't just, you don't live like the world and go say, I'm a follower of Jesus. Because that's not presenting his name with excellency. That's presenting him, that's actually, it's actually a profaning of the name if you claim to know him, but don't live like him. Right, and that's actually, I, I don't know, uh, I think it might be First John. I think it is First John, but let me just flip over there real quick. Yeah, so First John 2, 
Um, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. Right? So if you're telling people that you know him, but you're a liar because the truth is not in you, then you, you profane the name of God, which often you'll hear. You know, uh, I think it was Gandhi said, I like your Jesus. I don't like his followers. I just don't like his Christians. Right? Why? Because they weren't presenting his character and nature rightly. Gandhi was recognizing, wait, hang on. I can see who, he's, who he should be portrayed as, but he's not being portrayed as such. Now, I'm not trying to jump on the whole thing of let's, let's try to call everybody hypocrites or say that we must be perfect in order to serve the Lord or be effective in ministry. I'm just saying there's a high calling, right? There's a high calling for us to pursue. And part of the high calling is, is an aspect of recognizing who we are. Because if we say our calling is just to be saved and covered and have grace and tell other people about grace, we're missing a huge part of our calling which is part of restoration, which is part of revealing the light of the Lord to the world in a way that's tangible. Because we live for His honor and His glory. Um, I'm sure you've all heard, actions speak louder than words, right? Actions speak a lot louder than words. Actions speak a lot louder than theology. Now, I like theology. I like to learn things, I like to grow in knowledge. But if all I do is grow in knowledge and never in application, then now I'm kind of getting along the lines of what Paul talked about, I think, in 1 Corinthians 13, where he's like, you can have, I'm going to butcher it, I'm sure, but you can have like all wisdom, you know, but if you don't have love, you're a resounding gong, right? If you don't actually apply the knowledge, then you're missing a huge part. James talks about it in uh, James 2, 17 and 18, when he talks about faith by its, or he said, so also faith by itself, it is, if it does not have works, it's dead. Right? But someone will say, you have faith, I have works. He says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. It's difficult to show faith apart from works. We can talk about it. We can talk about concepts. But the true proof of it is in putting it into action. Right? And so... There was uh, there's a, a quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which apparently he didn't say, but it's attributed to him. And it's often quoted where uh, it says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Right? Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. Even if he didn't say it, it's a good quote, Right? It's not that words don't matter. The, you know, the words do matter. But what's really going to minister to people, what's really going to show them who God is, is to see His works being done through you in the earth. Right? When I, when I was in the Corps back at A&M, uh, my junior year, I had a, a leadership role over the outfit. And um, I... Uh, you could you could put a quote on your on your name card. So on your rooms, you would have your name on the door, and you'd have like your class year and different things like that. And every year, you're gaining a little bit more autonomy. Your first year in the core, you're kind of like you got nothing. Okay, the next year, you got a little bit more room to breathe, but not much. And then your junior year, you're you're moving up in the world, 
And so you actually get to put a quote on your, your door frame. And so that was the first sergeant in charge of the uh, operations of the outfit. And so what I put on my door card is a quote that I'd read in a book by John Maxwell. And it said, God, when I'm strong, make me willing to change. When I'm right, make me easy to live with. So strengthen me that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. That last part, I mean, if you remember nothing else, it's like, strengthen me that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. Because through rank, you can command, right? And you can get people to do. But your example is going to capture hearts. And there's a total difference when you have people acting out of the heart as opposed to out of fear of punishment. And that's what God does is he calls us out of love to capture our hearts such that we can then go and be that priest, that one who walks in holiness and righteousness and recognizing who we are, who he's made us to be as a child of God, and then operating in that to be his light into the world. Right? So may our, the power of our example far exceed our theology, far exceed, can it far exceed our calling? I don't think so. But may, may, may it meet up with our calling, right? Which Paul t talks about in Ephesians 4. He says, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you, urge you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Right? Oh, hey, I found the verse I was looking for. 1 Corinthians 6, <laughs> 20. You were bought with a price, right? You were bought with a price. The precious blood of Yeshua, who gives you life, gives you hope, and draws you with love, right? Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance so that we can walk in His ways. Now, In 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the scripture says, For God who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Yeshua Messiah. Right? He's caused that light to shine in our hearts. And one more verse to pull from here. In 2 Peter Verse 1. I'll go ahead and read the passage here and may the Lord just speak whatever part of it He wants to you. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Yeshua our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence. To His own glory and excellence. That's what He's called us to, Right? by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, 
so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, or moral excellence is another translation, with, to, to supplement your faith with moral excellence, and moral excellence with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yeshua Messiah. And notice that all those things are building down to love, right? Not just a whatever concept of love, but a love that, that is the result of that which begins with the moral excellence defined by God. The moral excellence defined by God, revealed by God, that transforms us such that we then know how to love and can walk in his ways fully in that dimension. So that's the call. It's not just the call, it's the nature of who we are, right? Because God doesn't give this call to people who aren't his. Like, does that make sense? His desire is to call all the world to him and then once he brings all the world to him, he enables them to then walk in the calling with which he has called them, right? And that's where, where we are. We've been made a child of God, either through being descendants of Abraham in the flesh or in the spirit. But in both cases, brought near by the blood of Yeshua to be a kingdom of priests and light in the world. And so then we have this call to go forward and to partner with him in doing that. So may we walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called and apply that in our lives, in our families, and in our community. And one of the questions I have is like, okay, well, what does that look like? How do we then operate in that, in all those different dimensions? And the answers are gonna be varied, but, but they're going to be consistent in, in certain ways as well. Of course, consistent because the one who gave them is, is light and, uh, and he himself is consistent, right? But for how it looks within our families, you know, I, I can't sit here and give a concise answer in it. But what I do know is going back to that key part that we read there in First Peter about applying moral excellency to what you do, right? Not just, in, it's moral excellency applied within the spirit and then applied into our behaviors and our inter interactions with others, always giving honor to one another, always seeking to give, to be a help, to be a support, whether it's words of encouragement, acts of service, um, saying, well, how is it that I can have the love of God and the order of God reflected in my life and how I raise my kids and how I do my business dealings in every dimension of our life. You know, when I think about what, what do I want for people coming to Emmaus Road, like who haven't been around, 
well, there's so many things that yeah, I could say I want, but I want them to come in and encounter God, to, to feel the presence of the Spirit, right? And so there are certain things that we do to try to affect that, right? We have an order of service, but within the order, we leave room for God to move and to speak, right? During our worship, God's always having the potential to move and to speak. We ask for words after worship because what's the, what's the Lord have to say? Sometimes he's speaking a different word in different areas. So we want to hear that. We want to make room for it. When I get up here to speak, I don't ever come up and say, what do I want to say today? I'm always just like, God, please show me what your message is. Right? Because I want his message to go to the body. So I want people to encounter the Spirit, to see something that's alive, and then to have it be a place where they come in and every aspect of what they encounter, they say, wow, I want to be a part of that. Right? And so then what does it take to cultivate that? How do we, in every dimension, give honor and glory to God and how we express ourselves and how we invite and welcome others and how we raise our children, how our children conduct themselves and how we give room for the Spirit to move and how we, as Suzanne said, pour out ourselves boldly to Him. Oh, I want to see more of that. But I need to do it too, right? To pour out more of ourselves to Him. And so, but it's all we live for His glory and His honor so that his name may be sanctified. And that's actually what the portion today ends with, was the issue of a man who profaned the name of God. And the, the consequence for the profaning that he did in that instance was death. Right? Because ultimately through all this, a key focus is to sanctify the name of God in all the earth so that his name may be known to all the ends of the earth, to all people, right? And so that's the outcome that we're desiring, that we're pursuing. Amen. Um, praise God. Did, did anybody have anything that you wanted to share? Well, I just wanted to share, good morning, everybody, um, that when I first got saved, uh, the Lord said, do not take your Bible to your family's house. You live the Bible. You be the example. Let them see the word through your life. And at first, when I got saved, I was from a different denomination. And so I was totally rejected. But because I stayed through the power of the Holy Spirit, not of my flesh, uh, stayed consistent with God's word, two years later, almost every single person in my family got saved um, are even baptized with the Holy Spirit. My mom, eventually my grandfather, who was like the head of the clan, everybody. And so I just want to encourage you, just keep walking it. Yeah. And, and, you know, you're going to war against the enemy, but we have to remember that the battle's already been won. Bless God. Thank you. Amen. The power of the testimony of our actions. Awesome. Earlier on, you were talking about space and time I, you may not have worded it that way but that's what came into mm -hmm. my mind right and you know like space time continuum and those two those two words are 
or ideas are very tied together, uh-huh. right? Space and time. Um, and God creates sacred space and sacred time, mm-hmm. right? And, yes. and previously the temple was central and people came. But now we are the sacred space. Mm-hmm. We are bringing God to the world, right? And so God uses space and time to reach out because the mission is to bring the whole world, uh-huh. right? And I know sometimes we get caught up in our own, like, what am I supposed to do? What, you know, and, and we get caught up with ourselves and, and really we need to get caught up in God and his plan. Like, God, what are you doing? Let me be a part of that, right? And because in getting caught up in his plan, right, we are God, image bearers. So if we get caught up with him, we will know our identity, right? It's when we are focused on ourselves that we have an identity crisis, <laughs> right? Um, and so if, if we can focus on his plan, what he's trying to do through us, you know, what he created us to do specifically, uniquely, like each and every person has been built a specific way to do that purpose, then we are being that sacred space, right? He is literally infiltrating the world through us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really cool. Like the... Uh the temple through the body of believers with the spirit and dwelling has gone out to the world. Right. Yeah. Really cool. So one last thing I was thinking of before we pray and wrap up. Uh, so remember that the word prothesis that I brought up about the purpose and the showbread. So did you know that that's the word used in Romans eight twenty eight? So when you read, we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose, according to his prothesis, according to his showbread, who are called according to Yeshua. Uh, that's kind of cool, right? So, yeah, I mean, I'm making a little leap, right? Because, you know, purpose is the easy literal translation, but just extrapolation there to say that word, again, is the same word used for the showbread, who are called according to his bread of life. Okay, Diego? Oh. I remember when, uh, <clears throat> back, back in the days when I was growing up and I was involved in all, all kinds of things that I wasn't supposed to as a teenager, uh, I remember being criticized. So I grew up being criticized in, from every angle, uh, regardless of what I did. Every time I was doing something wrong, of course, they were not wrong either. <laughs> they, they were right. Uh, and then when I started, um, when I was started coming to church and, and uh, I got saved, it was in 2000. Uh, 2009, I'm sorry, 2007, uh, and I started to live my best to, you know, please the Lord and do according to what I have, I was learning, right? I got the criticism from the people who were supposed to be there to encourage me. It says, well, now, now I'm a religious guy. So I'm look at him, now, now he's religious. You know, suddenly his past is gone, like he thinks he's so righteous and all that. And it created a very difficult environment to really grow. Mm. Uh, because you you uh, you find yourself in this spot. Okay, if you do something wrong, you, they're there. If you do something right, well, now you that also is wrong, you know. And there is this environment that is constantly reducing you. Like whether you're doing it right or wrong, the the environment is even pushing you farther down because it's not there to uh, to, to to because it doesn't know how to correct you, how to guide you, how to walk with you, and how to be support uh, uh, supportive. Um, so it, it creates this very challenging uh, 
position and, and developing an identity growing up it was it was a very uh, very challenging so it's it's one of the things I hear in the Metro is that uh, we, we try our best to work with each other and, and to be there for each other and, and and regardless of our challenges we we embrace one another and we overcome and we stay together and regardless of how we feel toward one another we, we stick together and we're there for each other one of the things that I, I see in, in, in today's age is that uh, when there is someone who is according to our our own thinking that that person is not walking the way it's supposed to be there is this uh, negative perspective perspective about that person perception of that person uh, and there's it creates this environment and then you have the other group that says well that's where they are so they allow him or allow her to do you know whatever it is because that's where they are and it's, it, I feel like there's this thin line as to what does it really mean to walk with people where they are not just in a free fall, but they're walking and, and, and making the right steps and, and walking in the right direction with the ups and downs while still walking with that individual uh, and supporting them and, and, and embracing them. And I think there's a lot of pressure from, from both sides and it, it's very, uh, very challenging to really, really express that love that we were, we were learning that Peter talks about and walking in the knowledge because that's what is needed. Mm -hmm. You need the love of God towards others, to each other, to ourselves. And also you need the knowledge to how to carry that love in a way that is that is not degrading the individual or, 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 or separating them or uh, making them, you know, bringing them down, but it's uplifting them at the same time in, in, in wisdom and knowledge, understanding, and uh, yeah. in, in being encouraged yeah. in, in this walk. So it's, it's understandable why it's sometimes people find it necessary to go to a different place or a different mm. church. Well, I don't want to go there anymore. Um, yeah. But yeah, we definitely, it, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very important part of community to be able to walk together and to have people who are desiring to continue to grow in their walk, right? Yeah. And then having each other strengthening along the way is so, so key. So very thankful for that. Okay, so let's, let's say a short prayer and then I'll have a few announcements. Lord, we, we love you and we bless you. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, and thank you for the mystery of Yeshua revealed. Thank you for the life that we have in him. Thank you, Lord, for your light, for the bread from heaven. Pray, Lord, that you would enlighten us, that you would nourish us and sustain us, and help us, Lord, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have called us, with which you have equipped us to be able to walk by your Spirit, Lord. We give you thanks, praise, and glory in the name of Yeshua, and thank you for this community and for all that you're doing in our midst, Lord. We give you praise. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.